Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here and happy Father's Day. Let's give our fathers a, a round of applause again. We, we love you, Dad. Uh, you know, I, I've always thought that the most important thing a father can do is, is lead his family to God, lead his family to worship. And so if you're here today, Dad, you brought your family, that's, that's a W. You get a victory for today, okay? We take them as we can get them, right, Dads? And uh, so happy Father's Day to all of you. Uh, you know, hey, quick comment about the, the statement made by the executive committee. I, uh, I appreciate them. I appreciate their love and concern. It was kind of humbling and, and, and very loving at the same time time how they approached me. Um, I, I do know that why they approached me because after my first week of work, uh, three of our staff members called them and said, you, you need to rein him in. So I just want to say, I know who those three are. <laughs> so keep them in your prayers. But, uh, you know, it is, it is obviously my goal to get back and, and, and be 100% and uh, be doing everything I think the Lord has called me to do here. And uh, so I, I, I appreciate, hey, I've been, you know, compared to RG3, I'll take that. And uh, be meeting with the finance committee soon to readjust my contract since I am <laughs> RG3. But anyway, grateful, grateful for them. Hey, listen, a lot of us here, not every single one of us, but, but a lot of us here, we've kind of grown up around the church scene. We've been a, around the church. And like any organization, we've got a lingo, right? We've got a vocabulary, words that maybe are not used a whole lot outside of the organization, but, but inside, boy, we know these words. You can say this word and a lot of things come to mind. And for us, certainly one of those words is gospel, right? I mean, you're not going to normally hear that word at school or work or on the ball field or, or doing just about anything. But in here, boy, that's, that's a big word. And we hear that word and, and other words come to our mind. Maybe you hear the word gospel and, and you think of Jesus or the cross, forgiveness, God's love, uh, eternal life. These kinds of words will fill our mind. Maybe it's an idea. Sinners can be saved, right? Hey, I, because of the gospel, I can be saved. And so maybe it's a thought like that. We think of the gospel being preached, the gospel being heard, the gospel being received, the gospel being shared. Well, all these kinds of ideas. But I'm confident for all of us, one idea that comes to our mind is beginning, right? The gospel's where we began our relationship with God because that's the door, right? It is through the door of the gospel that you and I come to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and so we think of the beginning. And so for a lot of us, when we hear the word gospel, our mind travels backwards, right? We think back to when we were four, maybe like this week, we think back to a vacation Bible school or a youth camp, or we, maybe we were 24, maybe we were 64, but our mind travels back to that time. Nothing wrong with that. But what I want to challenge us with us today, what I want us to think about today, folks, is we can't leave the gospel back there. The gospel was never meant to be an event that happened somewhere in our past back there. Folks, the gospel is to affect everything, every day of our lives uh, for the rest of our lives. The gospel is going to become the way we look at life. It's going to become the way that we look at people every single day. Now, before the gospel, we looked at life and people, right? And, and, and all of us, every one of us, we look at life and people through filters. And those filters come from a variety of places. Like maybe one word we could use is our experiences. Now, our parents are an experience, right? 
Okay, our, our, our parents are an experience that every one of us has, and those parents lay out a filter in front of us by which we're going to look at life, interpret life, look at people, and, and interpret people. And so parents have a profound impact on, on that. But, but then there's our race. Obviously, our race, our ethnicity is going to be a filter by which we look at life or maybe the kind of the, the, the socioeconomic economic status we grow up in. If we grow up kind of wealthy, we're going to look at life one way. If we grow up maybe not wealthy, we're going to look at life one way. So that becomes a filter. Our gender. Okay, men look at life one way, women look and interpret it another way. And, and so there's those kinds of things, but then there's also other experiences we have. You go through a, a traumatic experience, betrayal, abuse, that is going to become another filter, another way that you will look at and interpret life. So we, folks, we have more filters than we know, and, and they're falling down before our eyes all the time, and they become a way that we look at life. Now, we don't think about filters. You never think about the filters you're looking at. I, I don't. Folks, these filters are profound. There, there may be nothing more significant than figuring out the filter by which you are looking at life through. I'll give you an example of how profound it is. We've been looking at it in the news all this week, haven't we? We learned about a 21-year-old man that uh, uh, down in Charleston, South Carolina, he had some filters. We don't know where those filters came from. His parents, friends, uh, maybe a cultural experience, but, but he had some filters and those filters became the way he looked at a group of people and the filter led to the action. You understand that? You know, what we do in life day in and day out is almost always tied to the filter. How we look at a person, how we look at a situation, how we interpret it. And then it leads, and in that case, to an incredible, evil act of hate. How many times did we hear the comment, you just look at the guy's picture and it just looked like something's wrong. I mean, folks, you'd see his face, but man, it looks like the devil. Man, he just looks evil. Folks, the filter's shaped his face when you're looking at his eyes you're looking at his filters but now here's the other thing that was kind of shocking and not only did we see his filter produce this incredible act of hate but then the next day we saw the the family members of these victims do what they forgave that's crazy how how do they forgive why would they forgive you know why they forgave through a filter you see, they too were looking through a filter at this and it led to this incredible, maybe even just as shocking as the day before, not a shocking act of hate, but a shocking act of love, a, 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 shocked, a shocking act of forgiveness. Folks, our filters are determining all of this. And so we've got all these filters that are constantly falling out in front of us. And while there's all these different filters, folks, God would have for you and me to have but one filter that we're looking through. One filter that we use every day in every situation with every single person. And that is the filter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It is through the gospel that we filter everything. We, it, we, when we look at money, when we look at people, when we look at, at the news on TV, when we look at issues that we're dealing with in our culture, when we look at people, when we look at suffering, our suffering, somebody else's suffering, we're looking at that, we're interpreting that through the gospel. The gospel becomes our one filter. So easy to say, so incredibly hard to do. And here's why it's so hard. Because all those other filters, they happen automatically. We're all doing it every single day. You're looking through a variety of filters. And you don't ever stop and think, oh, I'm going to put this filter in front of me. There there is never a single day, there's never a single issue where I have to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to look at this as a white male. Right? I don't ever have to stop and decide to look at something as a white male. No, that's automatic. What's not automatic is looking at something, looking at someone through the gospel. See, that I do have to stop. Whether I'm watching the news or looking at a person, somebody I know, a stranger, I do have to stop and say, hey, wait a minute. There's all these filters wanting to fall down here and lead me in how I see and how I interpret. But I have to look at this through the gospel. See, we do have to stop ourselves in that case. And so, folks, what we're going to do today, these next couple Sundays, is we're going to talk about this. We're going to look at this. Today, we're going to kind of get a general idea. We're going to see that this isn't just something that needs to happen or something that's important to happen. We're going to see this is something God actually commands of your life and my life. This is something we are to do. And then we're going to take this principle, looking at life through the gospel, and and, and folks, we could apply it to a, a hundred different things, like forgiveness, Okay, we could apply it in all kinds of places, but I'm going to apply it to two places. Next week, we're going to look at this issue directly related to racism, and then the week after that, directly related to homosexuality. Now, I actually did not pick this because of what happened this week. I I actually worked on this. God kind of led me here. I'm guessing God knew what was going to happen this week. And, and, and he led me to this, it had been four or five weeks ago that I was, I was putting this together and planning on it. And, and you know, folks, whether I thought of it this week or thought of it a month ago, you know, the truth of the matter is to take this concept and to apply it to either one of these issues, it, it's hard. It, you know what, to be honest with you, it's easier not to talk about it, isn't it? It's just, it's just easier. Let's just stick to some polite conversations and, and feel good about ourselves and get out of here, Amen. No, it's hard to deal with this. These are issues that have heavy, heavy opinions, heavy, heavy emotions, heavy, heavy experience, heavy, heavy disagreement. It's just easier to not talk about it. I just think that the church needs to be a place where we're trying to talk about it. I'm not even saying we'll land on the right spot. I'm not even saying that in the course of the discussion, everything said will be right. But we got to start somewhere. We got to start with the discussing. We got to start with understanding. We got to see, hey, does the gospel give us a directive here? Does the gospel give me a place I need to be going in light of what is going on in my world? And folks, I think we're going to see absolutely that it does. And so we're going to start today again, kind of a general concept of understanding this. And we're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you would uh, grab your Bible and, and open that up to 2 Corinthians 5. It's in your New Testament, kind of moving toward the second half of it. It has been strategically placed after 1 Corinthians. Isn't that helpful? 
Uh, so if you're thumbing through there, you'll go through Romans, 1 Corinthians, you'll come to 2, you get to Galatians or Ephesians, you've gone too far. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one. Not one single person, not, not the person who's just like me and I'm really comfortable with, not the person who is very unlike me and I'm not comfortable with, not the person I'm offended by. We regard no one according to the flesh. Well, folks, if you have your own copy of the scriptures there, I would encourage you to under, underline that statement. That is a, that's a rock your world statement. We'll look at that a little bit more. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ. Gosh, we even did that to him. We let our filters fall down even when we were looking at, at, at Jesus. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and man, it's so exciting. It's, it's a brand new person now. The, the, the new has come. And all this is from God who, though Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, gave to you, he gave to me the ministry, every one of us in here, of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Boy, here's another line. Man, this is just line after line. Not counting their trespasses against them. Isn't that credible? God is not counting our trespasses against us and he entrusted to you and to me and entrusting us the message of reconciliation he has entrusted you and entrusted me to carry this message to the united states to carry this message to our community to carry this message to your workplace to your school to your neighborhood they don't know they think god's angry they think god's mean you get to carry a message hey man god is not counting your sins against you that message has been put into your mouth and into my mouth Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is a very formal thing, folks. You've actually got a title. You've got a position. You're an ambassador for Christ. God making his appeal. There it again. God, God is appealing to the United States and he wants to do that through you. To your community, to your work. God's making his appeal through you. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now again, folks, look at that, that first line, that, that first phrase there. We regard no one according to the flesh. I think when you really grab a hold of what that means, it, it, it knocks the train off the tracks a little bit. You know, because what this is saying is we no longer measure people the way we have always measured people, the way we automatically. There's never a day. You've never walked on this planet when you weren't doing what it just said not to do. You've not lived a single day where you, you see somebody you know, you're being introduced to somebody and you shake their hand, you, you, you watch a stranger walk across the street, you see somebody at the mall, you're, you sit down in church and, and, and you look down the row and there's somebody, we're all the time, we're, always, we're, we're sizing them up. 
We're, we're measuring them. We got these filters and we, we just naturally look. I mean, there's a gender there. There's a, there's a race or ethnicity there. They, they, they might be poor or rich and that leads us to certain ideas and, and maybe there's something about them we're very offended by. Maybe there's something about them we're very impressed by. And so all these filters are helping us look at them and then we decide, hey, is this somebody I want to get to know? Is this, is this somebody I'm afraid of? Is this somebody that is safe? You see, we're just constantly doing this. We're making these values, these these judgments, and these assumptions, and they lead to our actions. They lead to our thoughts. They lead to the conversations that we have. Let me say it again. There's never been a day you've walked on this planet where you weren't doing this, and the Scripture just said, stop it. We, believers, regard no one. Gosh, that's kind of all-encompassing, isn't it? We regard no one according to the flesh. Now here again, since a part of this is kind of one of our little defense mechanisms, one of our safety mechanisms, we've got to raise our hands. Uh, Lord, uh, excuse me, um, why? Why? This is how I figure life out, Lord. This is how I make decisions about people. Why are you telling me not to do this? In verse 17 gives us the answer, doesn't it? It says because they're a new person in Christ. Now, we're going to see in this passage, we're going to break the world up into two groups of people. And this first one is the first group. The first reason I don't regard this person according to the flesh is, man, they're a new person in Jesus. And I'm a new person in Jesus. We're both in Christ. We have this bond. And that bond becomes bigger to me, becomes more important to me, becomes more directive to me than any of those other ways that I might have seen or sized them up before that. They're a believer. And that, that thing that makes us alike is to be bigger than any of the other things I might have seen that make us so very different. I'm to see that as the big issue. Not, not their gender, not their race, not their, uh, not, not their, uh, their, their socioeconomic status. No, the biggest thing to me is that person's in Christ. And so now that becomes the way I want to get this, not just be cordial, but that I want to know them. That I want to understand them. That I want to relate to them. Man, there's another beautiful, incredible passage in a, in a book that follows 2 Corinthians, Galatians, that, that takes this a little bit further or explains this this way. It says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. See, that's my identity now. That, that, that's what you, you ought to see and measure in me. I have, I have put on Christ. You have put on Christ. And in that now relationship, there's no longer Jew nor Greek. That's, a, that's an ethnic statement. That's a, that's a racial statement. We don't... We don't see each other. We don't measure each other that way. Now, not, not bigger than what we have in Christ. There's neither slave nor free. That's a socioeconomic status. We're not measuring each other by what we have or what we, we don't have. There's no male or female. That, that's a gender issue, obviously. Okay? None of these things, these things we always see, and these things that tend to kind of separate us, right? The, the things that make us different, We no longer see that. Now, what's bigger and what's more important to us is that we're in Christ. And that's what we want to know with and relate and share. Now, that doesn't mean that in the church we become genderless, that we become raceless or ethnicity-less. I'm almost positive that's not a word. 
It, it doesn't mean that that's not there anymore. It just means, and there's places to acknowledge it. There's places to celebrate it. It's just such a distant second place to being in Christ that it almost becomes inconsequential. Let me give you an example. Most of you would not recognize this because of your filters you say, well, they have to look like this if this is the case. So you wouldn't know that my wife, Karen, is from a Spanish background. You, you would have never figured that out. You wouldn't know her maiden name is Sanguesa. Uh, that her father was born and raised in Peru, that her, her grandparents never spoke English. You know, they, they were completely Spanish-speaking. So my wife comes from a different ethnicity. She comes from a, a different background. And yet, I never, ever think of my wife as different. I never really think, oh, she's a different background than I am. No. I mean, it's true but what we have and share in marriage has become such a bigger, more dominating issue that that just falls down in here somewhere. And that doesn't mean that there's not places and times we go and we're with her family and that's where we maybe really acknowledge that and maybe celebrate that. And other times we're with my family and that's different. And so we're acknowledging and celebrating. So those things are there. There's places for them. But in day in, day out living and relating, it's just absolutely a non-issue. And that's exactly what we're talking about in Christ. Y yes, we have these things, but it, it's just so much bigger that we're in Christ. You know, it has become, a, I mean, I didn't grow up this way. I don't, I don't remember this in the 60s and 70s and 80s. I don't know, real, I don't know, I don't remember when we became hyphenated Americans. I have no problem with that, by the way. That, that's fine if that's how we want to break up and understand each other with the, you know, the, the Mexican-American, African-American, Korean-American, Chinese-American, Japanese. We break up into our little groups and hyphenate. That's fine for America, folks. Do you understand, though, that is absolutely not what the church can do. We cannot come in here and be Chinese Christians and, and American Christians and African American. We, we don't break it up in here. We're one thing, Christ. That is so big. That is so huge. Who wants the hyphen? We want Christ. That's our bond. That's what we celebrate. And folks, this is to be so powerful. Watch this. It doesn't just mean that that Christian that's really ultimately not like me that I just now have to be polite to and cordial with and not, yeah, brother in Christ, amen. And then I go on and find the people just like me. Folks, what, what the scripture says is, is, is that as we come together, my desire to know and to understand that person becomes so great that we actually feel and experience what each other feel and experience. Romans chapter 12 says if that other believer is excited and rejoicing and has a great victory, then I'm excited and I rejoice and I have a great victory. If that other believer is hurting, if that other believer is weeping, if that other believer is suffering, then I'm suffering. It's that kind of bond. It's that kind of connectedness. Now, folks, obviously, we're going to take a, a verse like Romans 12, and we're going to try to understand that and unwrap it, and we're going to try to put it on and live it. We're going to exercise verses most of the time, first and foremost, right inside of our local body of Christ. That's where we're going to figure out what that looks like and how to do it. But we, but we can't leave it inside of our own church family because all the believers in the world aren't in this room right now, are they? No, there's believers outside the room. That's the universal church. And folks, to a certain degree, this applies to the entire church. 
Okay, so if I turn on the news and I see, hey man, there's a group of believers in Charleston right now that are really suffering. God's idea is that my bond with them in Christ is so great that if they're hurting, I'm hurting. And if I'm hurting, I want to know why I'm hurting. I want to know what caused it and how it gets fixed. Isn't that what you want to know when you're hurting? Then when I see another group of believers hurting, then I want to know why did it happen, how did it happen, and how does it get fixed? Now, folks, I don't know that I'm going to do anything inside of the city limits of Charleston that's going to fix anything. But what happened in Charleston isn't unique to Charleston. So I have to start asking myself, hey, is that, is that kind of suffering near me? Is that kind of suffering around me? Is that kind of hurting there? Then what can I do here? See, that's what this is saying. Because folks, when you're suffering, you don't do nothing. You do something. And this says my bond in Christ with others is so great that if they're suffering, it's like I'm suffering. And the good news is if they're rejoicing, same thing. So now, so folks, we see others Hey, they're a believer. That's almost all I really need to know to love them and want to know them and want to relate with them. That is the big thing we celebrate. Now, okay, another quick question mark. Not everybody out there is a new person in Christ, right? As a matter of fact, most people out there are not a new person in Christ. If you go by the statistics, one out of seven people on the planet is a follower of Jesus Christ, which then means six out of seven are not a follower of Christ. Did y'all get that math? I wasn't going too fast, was I? Okay, six out of seven. So would we say then, okay, so this principle of not regarding anyone according to the flesh, that's just for the one out of seven that is a new person in Christ, but we we don't have to do that for the six out of seven, right? That would be nice, wouldn't it be easier? But no, (laughs) we have to do it for the six out of seven. The second group of people, Okay, there's the one group, I don't regard them according to the flesh because they're a new person in Christ, but then there's this other group. And that six out of seven, folks, God is in the business of reconciling them to himself. God wants them to be a new person in Christ. That's what he's doing. That's what's important to him. And it says for those of us that had the opportunity, have had a place in life where we moved from being a part of the six out of seven and we got to move to being a one out of the seven that he has given us that ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry? What is that message? God's not counting their sins against them. Is that incredible? I mean, what is more incredible than that? God is not counting against me things that are shameful and horrible. I mean, we all got sins in here we don't, we don't like, right? We're embarrassed that that's been in our lives. We're, we're ashamed. Some of us still very guilt-ridden over that. Now, that's not all of our sins. Some of our sins we're quite comfortable with. We own and possess, and we pull them out and use them at strategic moments. But God's not counting those sins against us. And that truth, that message has been placed into my mouth and it is to engage my feet to move to where those six out of seven are. We've been given a ministry, folks. This is not extracurricular. This is not for the super saint. This is not after you've been in church so long. The moment you move from the one out of seven to the six out of seven, this passage just said God gave you a ministry of bringing peace. God gave you a ministry of building bridges. That's what we do. You don't do, you you might do that at a business. You might do that at a school. You might do that on the ball field. You might do that in your neighborhood. But folks, that's what you do on this planet until God takes you home. We have that ministry. 
Now, what's interesting here is while that's our ministry, don't you think probably America thinks they do a better job at this than the church does? You kind of get to feel America. I mean, the church is the cause of all the problems. The, the church is the cause of all the division and hatred and, 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 and things in the going on in America. They've got the idea on how to bring everybody together. And, and probably their, their word for, for reconciliation would be tolerance, wouldn't it? By the way, tolerance is a fruit of the Spirit. To tolerate somebody, we are to tolerate. Tolerate's not a bad word. Galatians 6 says we bear with one another. You know what that is? We tolerate we put up with each other's failures. We put up with each other's weaknesses. We put up with the, you know, the negligence and the problem. We, we tolerate. We do that. But America defines tolerance as ex, not only accepting somebody, because, man, doesn't Jesus accept? Doesn't Jesus love and free him? It says right there he's not going to count all that garbage against him. That's what it says. So, yeah, Amer- a lot of Americans say, well, there's a verse right there that says you don't, you don't count any of those problems against somebody. But for them, acceptance goes another step into applauding, right? And I don't just accept things that aren't right. I applaud things that are not right. That's what tolerance is, and that's their idea on how we all come together. Boy, when we look at this, folks, as we go through this, we're going to see Jesus, as only Jesus can do, but has empowered you and me to do, to walk this beautiful balance between loving and accepting, but saying, hey, we're not... While I love you and accept you, we're not, we're not going to applaud that. We're going to fix that. There needs to be a, a change there. So we don't look to America and say, man, look, they're really leading the race right now on reconciliation. Let's do what they do. No, we look to Christ. We look to Jesus to see what reconciliation looks like. And clearly, it's not just accepting everything as okay. I mean, folks, we are carrying a message of reconciliation. That implies that somebody's not reconciled, Right? They can be right with God, but at present, not so much. That's that's not where they are. They can be forgiven, but that means they come to the understanding that they need to be forgiven, right? So see, folks, the gospel is what shapes all this activity. It's it's what sends us to what we do and, and, and how timely. I mean, you know, God brought this to my mind four or five weeks ago, not even knowing what was going to be going on this week. And yet we do need to think, what does the gospel direct me to do in this place, in this situation? Do I just stand here and complain? Man, look at America. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Boy, look how awful things are. You know, folks, sometimes I wonder, are we really burdened that things are not righteous and godly? Or are we just burdened that there's a whole lot of people that don't think and act like we think and act? There's a whole lot of people that are not like me, and that that makes me uncomfortable. I, I, I I don't enjoy things as much now. Folks, I think a lot of the church is burdened that everybody doesn't think and act like them. And that's not the same as being burdened that people don't know Christ and that the, America is not righteous and godly. And so we look out there at a world that's not like us, is changing very, very quickly, and we, you know, we complain and we moan and end up just standing here doing nothing. Folks, do you realize the gospel never complains? Ever. The, the gospel never does nothing. Think about what the gospel is. The gospel is God the Father looking down at the world at a horrific mess, a mess that offends him, a mess that is in rebellion to him. He looks at that, and what does he do? He sends his son. The gospel is moving to where the problem is 
and seeking to solve and love and forgive and and build bridges. So if we are a people of the gospel, then we are a people that are moving to where the problem is, solving, loving, forgiving, and trying to build those bridges. That's that's what we do. We, We seek to bring answers. And that is scary. If you do that, and you are to do that, there's not a person in here for whom this is not talking to. If we do that, you will be scared. If you do this, you will be uncomfortable. If you do this, you'll be in places where questions are being asked and you don't have answers. If you do this, you will go to people carrying the most incredible message and some of them will actually hate you for that. Some of them will actually not like you for trying to deliver that message. And I think that's what ends up, we know that, and that's what ends up leading a lot of us just to stand here and complain and do nothing. So what do we do? Do we just begin a whole bunch of classes to answer all the questions, get it all figured out? We're not going to move until, you know, we're not scared, we're not, we're not uncomfortable, and we've got every question. No. Folks, you know, there's, there's an incredible simplicity in this passage. I've been made right with God. And because of that, I can never look at people the same again. I don't get to size them up the way that my parents taught me, the way that the news teaches me, the way way that my natural experience... I don't don't get to do any of them. I I now look at people, hey, listen, there's somebody that is in Christ and that becomes the great bond, the great way I want to know them and be with them. Or there's somebody who needs to be reconciled. And I've been... Do you realize if you see somebody and think, man, I think they need to be reconciled, that's God saying to you, and you're the one to go do it. Message has been given to all of us. The ministry of reconciliation has been given to every single one of us. You know what we are? We're bridge builders, right? How many, how many people in the room right now? 500, 600, 600? We ought to be able to go around the room and tell 600 stories right now of, of some phase that we're in in a bridge building project. Because that's what believers do. Every day, all day, we're looking for places we can build a bridge. Folks, I don't, I don't need to build bridges to people who look like me, act like me, think like me, like what I like, do what I do. Because we're already on the same island, right? Who do you build bridges to? To people you're offended by? To people who aren't like you? To people who might not ever see it the way you see it. Because we all have these filters. Your filters are not what is ordained of God. The gospel is what is ordained of God. And it is the only filter we have a right to use. The gospel is to affect everything. So here's a little project for this week. A lot more to unwrap next week, these two issues. But but here's, here's here's our project for this week. I said we ought to all be able to tell a story of some phase we're in in a bridge building project. What if we all could tell a story by next Sunday? Where does God want you to build a bridge? Don't say nowhere. That's not true. There's a person, there's an issue, there's a group that God wants you to build a bridge to in your life right now. Would you start praying? 
Would you start looking? Hey, God, where? Where am I to be building a bridge? And if I'm to be building a bridge, then that probably should affect how I talk to someone, how I talk about someone, because I don't regard them the same anymore. Right? Let's start building bridges this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that's a, that's a, a neat line. Let's start building bridges. It's a neat line that we can actually end up doing nothing about. Lord, I, I pray that we, the church, would realize we've been left on this planet not to worship. We're going to worship you in eternity forever and ever. We've been left on this planet with a ministry of reconciliation. We've been left on this planet to carry the message of Christ that you are not counting our sins against us. We've been left on this planet to build bridges to those who are so offensive, to those that are not like us, to those that need to hear. God, would you open our eyes and let every single one of us see where our first building project needs to begin this week. And would you give us wisdom into what that looks like and what some of our first steps should look like. We need your help in this, Lord. It's not natural for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.